Today's TribCast is presented by Accenture. Discover modular solutions that adapt to the changing policy and regulations and overcome the interoperability challenge at Accenture.com. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas This is Art Cavazzo, superintendent of the Harlingen Consolidated Independent School District. I'm coming to you from halfway around the world, from Singapore where it's amazing that Evan Smith hasn't been caned yet. Enjoy this week's TripCast. Here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the third week of October. We just very nearly got scolded by our producer, Todd Weissman. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Freshly scolded. <laughs> what else is new? We hear you get, you've get you gotten spanked a lot in your childhood. I, I did, yeah. Uh, reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Never spanked, probably, in your Indiana elementary schools? Uh, no. It's not part of the culture there. <laughs> yeah, there. Every single every single co- coach in the El Paso Independent School District spanked a kid at least three times a day. And reporter Alexa Ura. Hello. No spanking in Laredo. That's sort of surprising to me. I don't know. United ISD. Sounds like, a James, same, sounds like a James L. Brooke movie. No spanking in Laredo. Yep. All right. Well, I want to kick off by talking about something highly unusual. Uh, and that is uh, that you may actually be seeing something on the Texas airwaves that you never see, and that is um, presidential ads. Patrick, um, what do we know? So the uh, Clinton campaign announced earlier this week that it's launching a uh, small one-week ad buy in Texas. A <laughs> show on three um, television the sets. Ad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ad uh, is uh, highlighting the Dallas Morning News' endorsement of Clinton, which was a pretty big deal at the time and continues to be. I. It was their like the only... first uh, endorsement of a Democratic presidential candidate since before World War II. Uh, the ad kind of quotes heavily from uh, the newspaper endorsement while showing it on the screen. Uh, it's going to be running very minimally on, on TV in, I believe, Dallas, Houston, Austin, and San Antonio. It's also going to be uh, running online. Um, so the total of that ad buy is probably what? Under 100 grand? Sure. I mean, you know, I think we're still tallying and speaking to sources about what the, uh, you know, price tag, the total size of the buy is. The Clinton campaign didn't initially detail it and still isn't detailing the size of the buy. I mean, clearly it was, a, you know, more of a symbolic announcement than a, a, an announcement of, of substance. Um, I don't think anybody in the political world expected this ad buy to be particularly big, so it's not necessarily a surprise that it is turning out to be pretty tiny, um, as our Abby Livingston reported the other day with some of the more precise numbers. And um, tiny, so tiny. I mean, what's a normal ad buy like in a competitive state? If you want to, if you want to move the numbers in a statewide race in Texas, you know, you've got to spend at least um, at least five hundred thousand a week, and more like you know, up north of a million if you really want to do a wall to wall. Like you see in a Greg Abbott, Wendy Davis race or yeah. something like that. You know, if you really want to move stuff, um, it's got to have two commas in it. Right. Yeah. So, is, so is this, this just a big like troll? Yeah. Is this a troll? Is this like just this thumbing is a small enough ad buy that we wouldn't have known about it if they hadn't announced it? Somebody would have gone, you know, did you just see a Hillary Clinton ad? And no, nah, I don't think so. And that would have been the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I just saw a, an, an ad form for KH, KHOU in Houston, one of the major uh, broadcast uh, stations there. And um, it looked like they're airing the ad there over the course of a week three times. 
So, <laughs> Make, you know, stand by <laughs> may have to TV. squint to see it. I mean, so at the end of the day, was this really, they've probably gotten more in earned media from right. the attention that this mm-hmm. received. I mean, because without dropping a number initially, the story was Clinton's advertising sure. in Texas. And then suddenly everyone, every Democrat and their mother was like, Clinton's advertising in Texas. Texas is in play. It's, it's a psych. It's one of those things, you know, they've gotten a couple of pretty good polls in Texas. The University of Houston did a poll. Washington Post had a poll. There was a poll last week from WFAA and Survey USA, and all of them show a close race. All of them also show a significant number of undecided voters, which is kind of interesting. But they all show a, a close race, and they've got this conversation going about, is Hillary Clinton, you know, as a positioning thing for her campaign, is Hillary Clinton doing so well right now that she could even win in a state or come close in a state like Texas? And that's sort of the storyline that the Clinton campaign would like to keep alive. And if you buy just enough ads to get just enough headlines to keep that story going, I think that's probably a pretty wise use of campaign yeah. money. Quick question from Travis. We're going to put you on the spot, Ross. When is the next UT Trib presidential poll dropping? Between now and Election Day. He's giving he's <laughs> like a very Clinton campaign. Yeah. He's very, yeah. very specific. Well, it's, a, it's getting to be well, a very, very narrow window. Well, and, we never you know. get too close to Election yeah, we Day. Never, that would we, be so, so two things. We never actually are in the field when people are voting. Mm-hmm. We try to avoid that. So if you were and at home doing your math. So, you, yeah. so you'd want to be out of the field by Monday. Um, and you would probably you know, put your results together as quickly after that as you could. And then largely it depends on how fast Ross Ramsey can write. Pretty fast. All right. There's your answer on that. So, I mean, so what does then the latest is Clinton really is Texas really could Texas be in play for Hillary? It would be. I mean, it's an asteroid. Drop. You know, Evan, one, who is not here, he's, yeah. uh, as you know, getting caned in uh, Singapore. <laughs> let's <laughs> right. hope. Let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One can only hope. Right. Exactly. Uh, he's, you know, gone on record saying. Yeah, Texas is in play. I tend to disagree with almost. You know, Evan's a Evan fight promoter. Says. He loves that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, the other signs that the state is slipping are not there. I mean, we have these three polls that, you know, do show a close race and do show a significant number of undecideds. You know, uh, the University of Houston poll, the numbers are kind of at the tip of my tongue. They had 11% undecided on the presidential race. And in a crosstab where you said among people who said they were extremely interested and very likely to vote, 17% undecided. So you kind of look at that and you go, okay, so where are those people going and where are they from? So there's some uncertainty in there. Um, the last uh, pre- the last presidential race won by a Democrat in Texas was 1976. Since then, only two races uh, that had big independent campaigns for Ross Perot were in the single digits. Everything else is a double-digit thing. Well, I was going to say, isn't so, that the more interesting part of it? Not that Texas is in play, but that it's so close after. If if this is a single-digit race, it's a you know it's a that's a big advance for the Democrats, and and frankly, that's the kind of thing you could take to Democratic donors, and say you know this is a sign that if you get people excited enough, and you know beat up the Republicans enough, you can actually win in a state like this. Mm-hmm. But is it's it the because kind of sign the Democrats are looking for? But they don't have a sign yet. They they have a hope. Right. Is it, well, I was going to say, is it because they're actively working to get their voters excited, or is it because you have Trump on the other end of the ticket? I think they, yeah, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, both those things. Well, I mean, clearly there's enough concern that this might affect down-ballot races in Texas that, you know, even now Ted Cruz is back out making campaign stops. Um, uh, what's, I mean, he's fresh on the off the, on the heels from his uh, statewide agriculture tour. What, what's, what's the, I mean, what does it <laughs> howdy, show? Howdy, howdy, howdy. Great right. agriculture tour <laughs> right. of 2016. <laughs> right. I mean, what does this mean that he's... Put on my shoe. West yeah. Texas interview. <laughs> it, is this showing that folks are sort of getting desperate? Is this a sign that he's mended some fences? Uh, and that he's getting back out there to help folks? Sure. Well, he's, you know, for weeks now, he's been saying that one of his biggest political priorities between now and Election Day is making that making sure that specifically in Texas that conservative voters don't stay home. And he's put that in the context of, you know, as we wrote, a presidential race in which a lot of those same kinds of voters, like basically the Ted Cruz voters, uh, you know, are feeling very disillusioned. Um, they're still not pleased with Donald Trump as the nominee. They, they don't believe he represents their uh, principles or, or values. And so he's making an effort to make sure that those voters, um, you know, still show up at the polls in November and, and vote Republican up and down the ballot. And, you're, you know, you're seeing obviously similar efforts um, from other Texas Republicans. George P. Bush, the Texas GOP victory chairman, is touring the state this week holding these get out the vote rallies with Tom Meckler, the state party chairman. And, you know, not you know, at least George P. Bush isn't, you know, ex, you know, explicitly advocating for Trump, but he's making a, a very unambiguous pitch for voting straight ticket Republican and making sure that um, Democrats can't make any gains, even if there are some weaknesses with the top of the ticket. Mm -hmm. And he did say he was going to vote for Trump himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he, um, you know, obviously we reported back, oh, I don't know, that was like two months ago. He right. said, you know, we need to help get Donald Trump elected at some of these get out the vote rallies. He's been, a, you know, maybe a little more explicit. I know yesterday he was at a rally and he said, I'm voting. This is why I'm voting for Donald Trump, which mm -hmm. I, I Honestly, I never heard him say the words Donald Trump. So right. um, that was that was interesting. We but. also haven't heard him say the words Billy Bush lately. Yeah. either. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> what are the, what's their relation? Uh, so Billy Bush is the nephew of um, George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush and the cousin of George P. Bush's father. He's, so he's, he's a like cousin a to George cousin. and Jeb. Yeah. Yeah, right. So basically, it's a better time to say Donald Trump than to say Bill So you Bush. can say you, he, he has the advantage of saying somewhere way out there on my family tree, yeah, like right. your family tree. Yeah. Right. I just love how, there's yeah. some outliers. You know? yeah. Billy Bush is a more prominent figure in this election right now than George P. Bush is in Texas. Yeah. Someone, on, someone on Twitter asked, who's George P. Bush after I tweeted the other day? And someone responded, oh, he's, he's related to Billy Bush. <laughs> I think he's Billy Bush's you know, second cousin or whatever. All right. Well, we have a flood of questions coming in on Facebook. So, What's wrong with you people? So, so versus from Donald um, are any Texas? This is Donald from Manhattan. Donald from, Manhattan. from <laughs> Queens, right? Yeah, exactly. Donald's last at the top of a very yeah, high right. tower. <laughs> yeah, right. Wants to know: Are any Texas congressmen in trouble? Will yeah, Hurd's yes. yes. in trouble. Will yeah. in trouble. And so has Cruz been uh, campaigning with for him? No, he hasn't. And we noted in our story on Friday that, you know, Cruz is, you know, ramping up his travel from for some state candidates. It's, it's an open question right now how much work he's going to do for Hurd. Um, Hurd is obviously um, has distanced himself from Donald Trump fully at this point. Uh, Cruz is perhaps best known right now for being a kind of Donald Trump supporter, for better or for worse. Um, and so there may be some kind of dynamic there where the Hurd people don't want to be seen with someone who at least has been so recently uh, tied to Donald Trump right. or something like that. I mean, if Ted Cruz, for better or for worse, if Ted Cruz shows up at a Will Hurd event, uh, reporters are going to surround them and ask questions about Donald Trump. So, I mean, I, I don't know if 
you know, how helpful crews right. can be in that, in that context. Right. Another yeah. uh, question, this one from Joel. In the event that there's a sort of wave election nationally and that the GOP loses some seats locally in the legislature, what does that do for the tone of the 85th session? There are not enough seats in yeah. play in the legislature to really change the nature of things over there. And if you do get a wave, I mean, if you did get a like a giant wave election here, you're still talking about only changing two or three more seats than we're talking about in a normal election. And we're only talking about you know two or three or four seats in a normal election. It's not going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, one more on the national stage. Question from Glenton. If Hillary can pull out a win in 2016, does that bode well for a Castro brother running for statewide office in 2018? If Hillary pulls out a win in Texas, I'm assuming. Uh, well, they didn't specify. Yeah, I mean, if, 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 if the Democrats way. win a statewide race in Texas, you know, that's a game changer in the same way that it was a game changer uh, in a in a minor way when John Tower won Lyndon Johnson's seat and in a major way when uh, Bill Clements won in 1978 and broke the Democratic hold on the governor's thing. There's a 22-year streak here that the Democrats have not won a statewide election. If Hillary Clinton wins a statewide election, that's going to show other candidates how, more importantly, it's going to show everybody a voter list that they can work in the 2018 elections. And it puts people like Ted Cruz at higher risk than they would be without a Democratic win this year. I just really want to see what the turnout numbers look like. I mean, does this end up being, you know, what Battleground Texas was trying to do year over year, which is mobilize a huge fleet of people? I mean, are we going to suddenly see, I mean, what have the voter, what have the registration numbers looked like so far? You know, registration numbers don't indicate turnout. But but that said, you know, we're over 15 million registered voters for the first time. I think we were under 14 million uh, the last presidential election. Yeah. So significant number of new registered voters. Um, turnout in presidential races for the last 40 years has been between about 41 and about 48 percent of the voting age population. So if you get over that, then you've obviously got a bunch of new voters and a bunch of new voters, in the other case, voting Democratic. That would be a, that would be an asteroid hit. Yeah, I, I almost wish we could see the the age breakdown of those new registered voters to get a better sense of I mean, age isn't the only thing that determines your right. party affiliation, but you could get a better sense of demographics of those voters and, and how they might be turning out and why they might be registering. Yeah, right. but then, you know, the problem with that is that, you know, registration doesn't necessarily mean there's a trend among voters. It may mean that there's a trend among people who are out registering voters. Right. You know, if you suddenly get a big surge in Hispanic turnout or Hispanic registrations, it may just be that's where the voter drives were. Right, so, right. And, and registration doesn't always translate into turnout. Uh, I mean, a question from Barry, what, what might those early voting numbers show? I mean, how, and when will we know what turnout, what early voting numbers are looking like? Well, we'll see. We'll see dailies from the top 15 counties from the Secretary of State's office mm-hmm. starting on Monday. Yeah. So early voting starts on Monday. They put out a daily rolling total for um, the top for the 15 counties with the most votes, mm-hmm. um, which tend to be the big, biggest 15 counties. Right. We'll know some things then. One more political question before we move on from Cody. How does Gary Johnson factor into all of this in Texas? What is the polling? Is there polling that includes him at this point? There has been, but he's gotten very, I think, low single digits, maybe. Yeah, he yeah, was doing, he was doing, you know, high single digits until he started talking. Right. And, then, and, and yeah, what is Aleppo, Aleppo and, and a couple problem. of other, they've, they've really uh, nuked him. In these last three polls, he and Jill Stein have combined for 5% or less. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, just a reminder, if you're tuning in on Facebook, that we are taking your questions. As you can see, we've had a ton of great ones today. Uh, I want to switch gears from sort of all politics all the time to uh, a big project we're in the middle of at the Tribune. It's part three of our year-long Bordering on Insecurity project. This is a project that really sort of tries to turn on its head what we understand about immigration and the rhetoric around border security. Um, Alexa, the this part of the project we're working on right now is really having an interesting sort of dialogue around who's coming over and why they're coming over that I think, um, you know, a lot of people just assume it's it's Mexicans who are crossing over, and that's a lot of what the rhetoric is. They're coming here for jobs and opportunity. What do the latest immigration numbers show? So basically what we're seeing is that the rate of Mexicans crossing the border illegally is actually going down while people who are labeled other than Mexican, that rate is going up. And a lot, of, most of them are actually coming from Central America and what's considered the Northern Triangle down there where people are, you know, being murdered on the streets and, and gang violence and drug violence is sort of wreaking havoc on their homes and life as they know it. And so it's it's people that are literally fleeing for their lives and we spent a couple weeks down there a couple months ago and, and talking to some of these folks and you know there are families children pregnant women young men you're seeing just about everything and people really fleeing to get out of those countries and a lot of them are staying in mexico but a, a big chunk of them are still coming to the united states and i mean what are the who are the people you're meeting and what are the sort of kinds of stories they tell i mean some of the video footage you guys brought back is just unbelievable i mean you all visited a morgue where you can see just sort of the these unidentified remains of these bodies that were basically like mutilated by by gangs you know mothers talking uh, there was a mother you all interviewed who had five sons and four were mm -hmm. executed within two days of each other yeah, it, it was really striking to, to talk to the the migrants, both those that are sort of still there and those that are on their way here, because it was it was pretty clear that they were sort of the survivors so so far, and and that was sort of difficult to accept, knowing that they've all sort of lost family members or could have died themselves. But you know, we met every everything between a woman who had lost four out of five of her sons trying to get the last one to Houston to a man who had lived in Houston for almost 30 years and was deported, left his whole family there and is trying to get back to them. And and the, the thing is, is that because of the big surge that we saw in Central American uh, immigrants crossing into the U.S., into Texas specifically illegally, there was a, a lot of pressure the U.S. put on Mexico to crack down on some of this illegal immigration. And what we saw from folks that operate some of the shelters that migrants stop at is that it actually hasn't stop the flow. It's only made it harder for these folks. It's made it more dangerous. You have people who are being assaulted, raped, robbed, anything you can imagine on their way up here. But as long as the desperation to leave is there, it doesn't appear the numbers are going to change much. Mm -hmm. A question from Steven on Facebook. Can you talk a little bit about MS-13, you know, what it is and where it came from? So MS-13 is really interesting because it actually has roots in the United States, and it was... This a, is a gang. This right. Is, right. It's, it's, a, it's a major gang that now has a, a pretty big role in Central America and is part of what's driving some of this violence. But it actually it has roots in the U.S. Folks who are sent back to Central America, they sort of became much bigger there, and now they're one of the big players that are you know recruiting young men and killing them if they don't join. They're persecuting young women to become their partners. Is it politics, crime, drugs, both? A, a bit of everything, I think. You yeah. know, it's in the way that you sort of see all of those things interwoven. But yeah, I think the most interesting aspect of this project has been to realize that 
connecting it back to the United States and Texas specifically, there's so much conversation and debate in fights over immigration. It polls really well. It's at the top of the list of what Texans are most concerned right. about. It has been for a long time. And for a long time. But right. people don't actually know a lot about who's coming here and why they're coming here. And I think what we've tried to do with this part is sort of shed some light on those folks because you know we we did sort of a Facebook live showing the documentary that we produced as part of this and someone said you know, you should send this to Greg Abbott and well I'm sure the governor is an avid consumer of our content it was interesting to think you know how many state leaders are actually sort of deeply informed about the sort of immigration we're seeing now versus the immigration we saw in previous years right. the thing is even if you even if you explain this as a refugee crisis which it really honestly is I mean if you're talking if you're talking to these people who are coming over it, it, they're they're fleeing you know it's a life or death choice right but it's not like Texas is uh, traditionally saying to other folks in states of crisis come on in I mean Syrian refugees right. are the perfect example you know you've had Texas state leaders basically you know even go to court to try to block the mm -hmm. you know arrival of those folks so I mean would changing the conversation around these immigrants as, you know, as refugees even have any kind of noticeable effect up the street? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think the the politics of it all sort of mm -hmm. gets in the way and, and you know, voting bases and, and what they think about this issue. And, and I, I, real, I don't really have an answer. Yeah, there's two issues that were, you know, immigration and border security are sort of as a pair mm -hmm. at the top of most important problems when you ask Texans, you know, rank these problems. You know, what do you think are the, the big issues? And for a long time, it's been um, those two. It's a little bit different question. So is it about the immigrants or is it about security at the border? And right. the, the argument about Syrian refugees from the governor and from some others has been that you know Syrian refugees are one thing, but you might be letting in um, people who are terrorists or you know ISIS or whatever else you're afraid of right now, um, and you need to have more security before you start letting people in. You know the the OTM, the other than Mexican classification and immigration. Uh, triggers a lot of the border security talk and a lot of the fears that are there. Mm -hmm. Question from Kristen on Facebook. How will immigration as a policy issue affect down-ballot races in Texas? I mean, how much are you seeing this at the forefront of, say, a Will Hurd candidacy? I don't think... I, I haven't seen it flare up. Mm -hmm. To me, it's right. more of a GOP primary uh, issue or mm -hmm. was more of a GOP primary issue. We saw, you know, in just one example in the state Senate primary in, uh, with Don Buckingham, mm -hmm. you know, she attacked Susan King as wanting to let in Syrian refugees. But again, that was all during the Republican primary period. I don't see it in down-ballot races as a major issue, even in, for example, Will Hurd's district which there's hundreds of, you know, it most of the Texas-Mexico yeah, border, most right. of the Texas-Mexico border. Immigration is, I haven't heard anything about immigration mm -hmm. uh, from Dem on the Democratic side or Republican side, only other than the, the, the Donald Trumpification the wall of conversation. it. The you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. But as a policy issue, I don't, I don't think it's flared up in those races. Right. And there was really a fascinating Washington Post piece actually this week that, mm -hmm. you know, might have been more effective if it had come out earlier in the in the primary, but just sort of looking at where, when the border wall, when you talk about the border wall conversation, like what are you really talking about? And basically you're talking about Texas because wall exists a lot of places where it doesn't exist is this giant expanse, which is known as Texas. Yeah, well, it's it, basically a stretch south of El Paso down to just ahead of the Rio Grande Valley. Where there's a city, there's a wall. And, you know, there's giant gaps of non-populated area in Texas where, you know, they don't have walls. And um, we've, we've chosen to patrol those things with um, people in trucks. Mm. 
All right. Well, Alexa, I'm not done with you yet. I want to talk about another story that you wrote. And this was, um, I think, something a lot of people don't don't understand. Uh, folks assume that Planned Parenthood is sort of no longer in the taxpayer funded business in Texas. There's mm-hmm. really just been this effort by GOP leaders to go after them. All these pledges by everybody, including uh, not limited to the governor, saying, you know, they will be out of business in Texas. But the story you wrote this week um, suggested that actually Texas has not gotten Planned Parenthood off of its books. What's the deal? Yeah. So- so one of the, the last uh, government-funded streams of money that Planned Parenthood gets is Medicaid money, through which they uh, provide well-woman services and, and all sorts of exams for poor women. And last year, sort of on the heels of these undercover videos of abortion providers, the state came out and you know sort of made a big hoopla about how they were going to defund Planned Parenthood. They were finally going to kick them out of the Medicaid program, through which they get about $3 million a year. And, and there were fundraising emails, there were Nash interviews on Abbott Fox fundraising News, emails, Abbott right? fundraising right. emails. Uh, you had folks sort of, you know, a lot of the statewides and, and Republicans in different areas touting this big move on Texas' behalf. But a year later, Planned Parenthood is still receiving this money. Um, and we sort of checked in with, with Abbott and we checked in with the state inspector general who's in charge of doing this. And, it, you know, everything is sort of still where it was a year ago. So what, so what is Planned Parenthood receiving money to do at this point? So at this point, their clinics, their health clinics, which are not affiliate, they're not where they, they provide, provide abortions, abortions correct. Right. They offer uh, well women services, birth control, um, all sorts of sort of reproductive care to poor women in different areas of the state. They've been doing this for a long time. And as the state has sort of chipped away the other funding that they receive, they've sort of held on to Medicaid funding, which is mostly federal funding anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, right. A nine to one match. Right. And right. so they've, they've con- you know, it's always been sort of on Republicans' mind as part of their sort of big um, effort to, de- to call, so-called defund Planned Parenthood. But it's one of the, the biggest dreams, and it's, it's still there. So is it just because they can't, f- I mean, it, could it be that they can't find clinics or care providers to replace Planned Parenthood in these communities? Or No. It, well, so in order to kick a provider out of Medicaid, you what the state is doing in this sense is citing allegations of fraud and right. misconduct. And so you need to find a reason to kick someone out. We were able to find sort of previous instances in which the state had done this, and it was because someone was convicted of a crime, and so they were no longer eligible to be it's a It's not Medicaid just the provider. allegation, you have to prove it. Right. And right. so and so they came out with all of these allegations. There was a notice that they'd be kicked out within 30 days unless they appealed it. That notice never came. Right. And a year later, it's, it's still not here. <laughs> it's a great political branding success. I mean, I imagine like the the average Texas voter probably thinks that Texas has effectively chased Planned Parenthood to the gates of hell. I mean, right. yeah, it, right. not and even they've raised the a lot of money voter. off of it. It's like yeah. the first paragraph of a bunch of fundraising requests. The and, average Texas Tribune yeah. editor thought that they were no longer. I mean, when I saw this, yeah. I was like, wait, 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 what? I thought yeah, they were just, out. It turns out to be a phantom deal. They basically issued a notice. Was it November of last year? It was October of last year. That said you got 30 days and then we're kicking you out of the program. And here we are coming up on the, you know, it's your birthday. And and they haven't kicked him out. And and, um, Planned Parenthood has successfully said, you know, basically you don't have the evidence to kick us out. And Texas implicitly um, has agreed with that. They haven't kicked them out yet. A question from uh, Paul on Facebook. What areas of Texas have been most affected by reductions in services by Planned Parenthood? 
I mean, I know their West Texas clinic has closed. I think as you've seen, this is probably more so an effect of other funding cuts to them and more specifically some of the state funding cuts. Uh, but probably their biggest, the biggest gap is in sort of the West Texas rural areas where you're not seeing um, Planned Parenthood offer these services and they might have been the only provider there. The state has sort of tried to engage more providers as part of the state women's health program and, and according to them are sort of at record levels. But there are still some holes you see. Last year, the, the Republican legislature cut funding to Planned Parenthood for breast and cervical cancer screenings. And as part of that, there might have been communities where Planned Parenthood was the only provider and they're no longer there. Another question from Buddy that I think we just need to clarify. Doesn't Texas have to keep providing Planned Parenthood money or they lose billions in Medicaid funds? I mean, basically, the, the feds have sort of drawn a line in the sand with Texas and said, like, you can't, like you said, you can't kick them out for no cause. You know? Right. Yeah. When uh, soon after, soon after the state announced that they were defunding Planned Parenthood, the feds came back and, and repeated a warning that they had given to other states who tried the same thing and eventually stopped and said, you can't do this because in doing this, you're limiting a Medicaid eligible person, you're limiting their options in terms of who they can receive health care right. from. And so right. the state warned that they couldn't do this. That was a couple months ago. And I don't I don't the the feds haven't really moved forward with any sort of consequences because again the state has not actually kicked Planned Parenthood out of Medicaid. Meanwhile, Texas Medicaid is is in the birth control business. We had a really mm-hmm. interesting story that we ran from Kaiser Health News this week about right. how now they're offering Texas is offering women on Medicaid, you know, basically the moment you deliver a baby, they will like turn around real quick and stick an IUD in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like Put a cork I mean, in it. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> which is uh, which is interesting because Texas is obviously a state that hasn't been particularly comfortable talking about, you know, contraception and birth control and that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah. that's I thought it was really mm-hmm. an interesting story, although there were a lot of questions about, you know, if you go to a Catholic hospital, you probably right. wouldn't have those options. Or if you're at a small rural hospital that might not have, you know, a bunch of IUDs sitting around, it was really an interesting. Right. Well, I, just, I think it's yeah. fascinating because when you think about women's health in Texas, we always go to this abortion fight mm-hmm. and this Planned Parenthood fight, whether it's on the abortion front right. or if it's on the Medicaid front. And you have all these other things that are going on that sort of get lost in the middle of all that. But of course, you know, Republicans sort of draw the attention to those things. There is a rule about fetal remains and burial and cremations. And so it's constantly sort of a push and pull. I almost feel like it's a push and pull between the politics and the policy of it all. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, back to politics just for a couple more minutes. Let's do a little bit of debate prep of our own. Uh, what should we <laughs> expect tonight? Is there anything that could happen at a this point, really, to turn the tides to Trump? I mean, is it is this election over? Does the debate matter at this point? It does matter. I, you know, I think you could you could get something tonight that changes the conversation. Um, you know, Trump hopes that it changes the conversation in his direction in a positive way, which is a harder hill to climb than just change mm-hmm. the conversation. You know, since the second debate, the days before the second debate and the, and the week that followed, or I guess the 10 days now that followed, um, it, it, it served to uh, point to some of his deficiencies and then to build on those. And, you know, he's got to turn the conversation to something else and back to qualifications and why he's better. Uh, Hillary Clinton has, you know, I mean, she's had this sort of rope-a-dope strategy. I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to let him talk. And um, as long as he's talking, he's losing votes. Uh, He has to change that. I think she's probably going to have to answer more questions about the email and Benghazi stuff that she's been able to duck so far. 
Um, it could be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how Trump, you know, if he has one asset at this point, it's these WikiLeaks emails. Right. Um, right. There haven't been, from what I've seen, any major, major, major bombshells in them. There's been a lot of interesting insider yeah, gossip, gossip and whatnot. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he deploys that as a political device in this debate. Um, but then again, I don't know. Even if you have all the scandal in the world in these WikiLeaks emails, I don't know if that is enough to stop the slide that he's he's been on that started with that uh, Miss Universe tape. Um, or I'm sorry, Miss Universe episode and then the right. 2005 tape that came out a few weeks ago. I mean, I think that was kind of the beginning of the end for him, and there may be nothing he can do to stop it at this point. Well, and the biggest difference between the last debate and this one was that last time there was this recording and he said, no, I didn't do it. And now you have several women who have come out and said, yes, he did. And so yeah. he's dealing with all of that now going into this third debate. Although what? also complicated for Hillary to talk about that kind of stuff, because a lot of women, you know, over the years made allegations like that against her husband. And she sort of roundly tried to, you know, put them back in their place. Yeah. Yeah. Trump's not the only guy looming behind her. Right. Yeah. Right. Also, exactly. also Bill Clinton here. And, you know, and you also wonder, I mean, because he did it last time. With some effect, you know, does Trump have an afternoon press conference an hour before the debate and say, what about this? Right. You know, Wasn't last he time, yeah. Barack Obama <laughs> yes. half-brother? He is. That's the last thing right. I saw. I'm confused as to what role that <laughs> He's always got a sort of a bunch of special guests up his sleeve. Right. So. All right. Well, we have no more special guests up our sleeve. Uh, if you have questions or comments, you can email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. And on behalf of Ross, Patrick, Alexa, and our producers, Tom, and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. I've been spanked by Joe Pickett's dad. I have an issue with that family.